0: Why Conservatives are Sane and Why Liberals are Not Narrated by Phil Richmond Liberals and conservatives occupy opposite ends of the political spectrum. Each calls the other irrational. Both sides accuse the other of not having the interests of mankind at heart. Though most will stop short of calling their opponent evil, the implication is that those at the other end of the political divide are dangerously devoid of a sense of right and wrong. In other words, the left and right are relative terms, or so most people believe. There is, so it seems, a division, based on emotion without a feature that can be quantified. There is no way to separate the left and right by anything akin to objectivity. By this we mean that no one can say if a greater concern for the poor is more virtuous than respect for the privacy of others. We cannot even prove that one version of concern is better than another. The dilemma of defining moral absolutes is encapsulated in problems such as if it is okay to steal to feed a hungry child or ought we to lie if lying will result in a life being saved. These kinds of issues are considered moral dilemmas because they contrast two moral principles and ask us which is the greater and why. We are to feed children and not steal, but what if stealing is the only way to get food for the child? What if the child steals food to eat? This leads philosophers to ask what the categorical imperative is? What rule supersedes all others? Which rule is sufficient to be considered a first-order principle or the prime directive? We are told to do no harm, act as if our action was a cosmic law, or be happy, useful, or a follower of the law. The golden rule tells us to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. To put this in a broader context, What is progress as a quantified index? If we are to be moral, why? If we are to feed the hungry and not lie, why is that? Surely there must be a purpose to these propositions? Surely the prime directive, if followed, would result in progress occurring. Doing the right thing would make us go from what is worse to what is better. We are to feed hungry children because it has a higher purpose, or we could be told to feed mice and mosquitoes. Why then is it moral to feed hungry children when there is no moral significance in feeding hungry mice? What is the underlying principle from which our moral principles arise? Let's put this in the broader context of right and wrong. We assume we are to do more right actions than we do wrong. Assuming we are not perfect we can assume that progress consists of us doing more right in more ways to a greater degree than we did before. Progress requires us to perfect our incidence of doing right and reduce the number of times and the degrees of severity of the things we do wrong. Feeding hungry children and not lying means we are doing right. But what if the action requires us to contravene another moral principle? How do we know it is more moral to feed a child than a mouse, or to feed a child even if it means stealing the food needed? Just why and to what degree is murder wrong? What about other forms of progress? Is it more moral to be self-sufficient, or ought we to develop machinery to make us more effective at what we do, even at the cost of our having to become dependent on other people for some of the things we need? Becoming dependent on other people is called progress, but is it progress in the way we are thinking of it in this essay? Is it moral progress to become part of a community? Is moral progress equivalent to economic progress? How do we measure progress? What are we gaining more of or intensifying as we progress? By specializing we become dependent. If we do not specialize, we cannot progress, nor can our neighbor. Our neighbor is as dependent on us as we are on them, if progress is ever going to happen. We are in this together. This mutual dependency creates progress, if by progress we mean productivity is increased progress is good within a community and nation but is it a good idea for nations to specialize and become dependent on foreign powers ought the people be dependent on the state for protection is the development of the welfare state progress or a foolish dependency on the state the reality is there is no social objectivity no simple and non-subjective way of determining where we ought to be going as a society we have islam and liberalism pulling in diametrically opposite directions. But they are aligned in their opposition to Christianity. In the larger social arena, we cannot even come decide whether Christianity or atheism ought to guide our social agenda? We take Christianity out of the public square and find the hole bigger than we had imagined it would be. Are girls something we can identity, or is even biology just part of a political party's platform? How do we organize society if there is no objective reality to base our decisions off of? What is motivating us to take the positions we take? That is, on what basis do we find ourselves on opposite sides of a point of order? Why is profits better than food banks and volunteering better than looting? What moral justification do we have for assuming a political position on the right rather than one on the left or another position off on a totally different tangent? It is said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result. Could it not also be said that insanity is taking up a position that cannot be objectively verified? Are we to make war against a group with different views than ours, though we and they cannot prove one position is better than the other? How are our views more valid than the views of the other group if there is no yardstick available to us to measure just how much better one view is than the other? How important are the views we hold and why do we consider them important if there is no way to quantify the difference? Are we willing to kill those who would sacrifice profits for mercy or people for national or family pride? Is family honor harmed more by headstrong females or honor killings? If harmed how and by how much? How do we quantify honor? It is conceivable that it would be honorable to maintain the value of the family if the value of the family was objectively validated. If honor was a factor with a numerical value, then the honor of a family could be measured. If we could state with precision how much honor has been lost by an event, then we would establish with some certainty, how much honor had been lost, and how serious the loss was. We can speculate that if there is a method of quantifying progress, then an intrinsic virtue exists linked to progress. If we can establish that there is something that is good, and that having more of this is always preferable to having less, then this thing would have intrinsic value this speculation is referred to as the search for the ultimate good or for the first order principle kant called this the categorical imperative utilitarians thought utility would be defined by the level of happiness a person had though pragmatists considered the work an idea could do a more useful standard regardless these and other writers all believed there was something that had intrinsic value they and we could not agree on what this was which tends to disprove the very claim they were trying to make. If a universal good exists, ought it not be obvious what it is? It may be appropriate to question here, if even life has ultimate value when men are prepared to die for their principles. If life is sacrificed for family and nation, what are we living for? What is value for us when we are willing to die? How does death help an ultimate cause? But the question begs itself. What is value other than value? What can we value more than value? It is that an action or idea has value, why it has value. This is a case of circular reasoning. We cannot ask why life has value. We cannot ask why we value one person's life over another. It has value because we value it. We value it because of its value to us. Sometimes we value the life of our family more than our life but others value their life over anything else. The why is an irrational response. The value is the answer, not the question. To ask why the value is as it is, assumes there is something of greater value than value. God is the highest, most perfect of all ideas. God is value incarnate. To ask why God has value or why we perceive him to have value, is to claim there is a standard against which we can compare God. If this was so, if there was a value which could measure God, God could not be God. God could not be the highest of all conceptions, if there was something we could conceive of that could measure him. We might argue we like food because it gives life, but of course, this is not always the case. Sometimes the food we eat is harmful to our health and life. People smoke and drink and do drugs even though they know this has a detrimental impact on their life. This being said, we do value one thing more than others. There is a hierarchy of values. We give up some things we value for things we value more. All that can be said is that we seek to accumulate value. If we quantify values using a currency, we can track our purchases and earnings. With a unit of value, we can tabulate our total value. We can also see that only irrational persons give up what they value more, For that which has less value to them this truth enables us to look at the habits of conservatives and compare this behavior to the behavior of liberals we know conservatives are considered the people of individual autonomy and the left those who side with a more collectivist view of things the analysis at this point is fairly simple if one consumes everything one gets one will be left struggling during hard times and perhaps find oneself in a deficit position over time, it becomes difficult to maintain consumption levels without investing in the future. Financial advisors tell us to invest in the future, even if it is a small amount. If we work and consume the output, our value remains roughly stagnant. The probability is, however, that without investing in the future, we will fall on hard times at some point. When we do not progress, it can be said we love our leisure. This presents us with an interesting situation. Despite loving freedom, we never get more of it and indeed are in danger of losing the little we have, unless we sacrifice at least some of it to support our lifestyle. On the other hand, we could be someone who loves money. In this case we work and invest and consume as little as we can. We get very wealthy. It looks as if we are experiencing progress and individually it can be argued we are. But it is erroneous to link progress with individual advancement. Progress is an attribute of a community. The person who strives for sustainability creates a situation which is not sustainable. If all members strive for no more than survival, the value of the community stagnates. The sustainable community is similar to the individual who consumes all that he produces. What can we say a subsistence economy values? Or, is subsistence the result of people who fail to value much? Are subsistence economies the result of no one valuing anything highly? When socialism is the norm, there is no benefit to wanting anything so much that they can be exploited. To value things is to create scarcity. That which is highly valued becomes a thing we compete to own. One cannot value something which is freely available to all in any amount. But the more one values something with a limited availability, the more the desire increases the demand and therefore, the scarcity. This causes conflict. The key to creating value is the existence of ownership. This is a conservative value. Conservatives believe that unless we can own it, there is not much benefit to wanting it. Liberal ideology, because it is based on equity, works to reduce the value of things. Liberals do not want us to value anything because if we valued it we would want to own it. Socialists erode the sense of personal ownership, as they strive to make a basic supply of goods available to everyone. In short, socialism is really just another form of subsistence living. The question we must ask, is if subsistence economies are a sane response to anything? If subsistence does not make sense, then we can ask what we value, what would we like to own? Our values define our speciality. If no one values anything more than anything else, then subsistence living is deemed sufficient. If people value spices, some people will specialize in growing processing and transporting spices. If they value something more than spices, they will take these spices to where the price is at the highest level. This is called market activity. It does not require a state to exist, but some value the state in some cases for its protection of specialized activities a monarch is a promoter of specialized activities the monarch is more knowledgeable of the products and services which are available elsewhere the monarch also has access to products and services that have greater demand in other places than they may have domestically these supply and demand issues are the engines that drive specialization but if specialization remains the sole province of the state The specialization that occurs will be limited and geared towards military objectives of the state. Sanity needs objectivity. A standard of comparison is needed. Progress requires a method of validating one course of action in preference to other possibilities. This is where conservatives have the advantage. The liberal worldview is founded on legal systems issued by experts in authority. This might be in the form of an authoritarian autocrat or it might take the form of a majority opinion decided by an election, but the result remains the same. Both options rely on subjective values backed up by a strong justice system. Within liberalism there is no external, objective way to validate a course of action. Policy is decided by the relative power of the interested parties. The control of people is an indirect way to control the assets within a political jurisdiction. The weakness of liberalism is that someone in authority must represent the standard. The authority figure represents God. Liberal organizations are all centered on substitute gods. All these demigods require authority over the wealth of the area to impose their will on their subjects. This usually means the person in authority has the power to take and allocate resources. Everything comes down to the investments we make. Our time, energy and assets mean nothing unless they are invested. But we need faith, without faith why invest? If we do not have faith that we can predict the future to some degree, we will not expose today's pleasures to tomorrow's uncertainties. But then how do we express faith if we have nothing to invest? Liberals are ruled by fear and so have no faith in the future. This is why liberals resort to socialism and the power of the state. But what relevance has this when discussing sanity? To answer this, we need to establish what the parameters of sanity are. Sane people make sane choices. Sane people make investments if faith is justified. On the other hand, sane people consume what they earn as they earn it if there is no reason to have faith in what tomorrow will bring. To establish a standard for sane choices is not difficult. A sane choice is one that creates value or produces added value. We can say this on the assumption that no sane person shows us something he or she does not value. The only reason why a person would make a choice that leaves them worse off, is because he or she is not able to make rational choices. This brings us back to the principle already established. Sane choices require a standard of comparison. To know we suffered a setback we need to measure gains and loses this is possible for businesses businesses are either profiting from their actions or they are experiencing monetary losses the truth is that conservatives have faith and they are willing to be subjected to measures of profit or loss the methods used are not that effective but the willingness is there conservatives are the ones behind bull markets Liberals are the ones who lose faith and give in to fear, resulting in more sell orders than buy orders. We need to have faith individually and collectively. This is something the left does not comprehend. If we do not have faith, if we live in fear, we will live for the moment. We will not save or invest. There will be no progress and civilization itself will go into decline. This is not rational and cannot be rationalized. Giving into fear is inarguably insane, regardless of the excuses or reasons given. The greater the fear of the future the more rational fear becomes, until our entire being is consumed by fear. The difference between the West is that we have managed to contain the fear more than the East has been less able to do. Of the Western nations, Britain has been the country most able to turn fear into faith. But as the Bible tells us, if we had a modicum of real faith, nothing would be impossible. In short, conservatives are sane, not because of some innate physical feature. We are sane because we have faith. In the West we are not governed by fear. It is not that there is nothing to fear. It is that fear paralyzes. To paraphrase a famous quip, we have nothing to fear, but the paralysis that fear brings. Faith may not appear as if it is an objective factor, but the less we fear, the more positive we are. The more we invest, the more progress we create. The reasons for faith are objective, or as objective as anything can be. Faith is its own reward, for it generates progress. This can be measured in the value we add to the assets we administrate. Our economic future rebounds with faith. With fear, economic indicators are depressed. This is so regardless of if we are speaking about individuals, businesses, or nations towns or other jurisdictions all we have is faith in ourselves and in each other conservatives express faith they are the carriers of faith socialism by resorting to the state exhibits a fear that translates into higher taxes more laws and regulations and markedly less freedom this is not saying because without faith in each other we have nothing no number of laws and regulation can replace the faith that motivates the people of faith motivation is a process of teaching people to let go the fear and be hopeful have faith if we all have faith our faith will be rewarded with faith nothing is impossible because of this fact alone those with faith are the only sane ones